Book Four, Chapters Thirty One to Thirty Three of Amadis of Gaul. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. Amadis of Gaul by Vasco de Lobera. Translated by Robert Southey. Book Four, Chapter Thirty One. How King Lisuarte sent the body of the Emperor of Rome to a monastery, and how he spake with the Romans. When King Lisuarte came to his tent, he besought King Kildadan to alight and disarm there, that before they rested they might give order respecting the body of the Emperor. Then, weary and bruised as they were, they went to the tent where the Emperor lay dead, and found his knights making dull over him for albeit he was so proud yet was he so liberal of his gifts and favour that that covered many of his faults the two kings then besought all these knights to go rest themselves saying that they would see the body disposed of as it ought and then they gave orders to the officers of his household to prepare the body that it might be carried a day's journey to a monastery near the town of lubaina from whence it may be removed at leisure to the chapel of the emperor at rome they then returned to the tent, and then they supped, and it seemed with a cheerful countenance. But there was one who was troubled in his spirit, and that was King Lisuarte. For by the great advantage the enemies had gotten in the two former battles, he knew that when the truce expired there was no hope for him, but either he must be dishonoured and vanquished, or what he was more certain of, slain. On the morrow the Emperor and Floyan were carried to the monastery, and Lisuarte and King Kildadan went to the Emperor's tent, and called together Arquisil and Flaminio, and the chief knights among the Romans, and said to them, My good friends, God only can tell the grief I feel for this loss, and the desire I have to revenge it, but the past is without remedy, and we must show that the death of a prince is not the destruction of all his people. If all others should forsake me, I will not depart from this place, except either conqueror or dead. Do ye, therefore, call to mind what you are, and we may yet recover what advantage we have lost to our great glory. To this, Arquisil, who was now the chief in rank as well as courage, being next in succession to the emperor, replied, It is notorious to all the world what signal things the Romans have achieved, being among other nations like the morning star among other stars, since we are of so great a nation, do not you, King Lisuarte, believe, but that we will fearlessly follow the example of our forefathers, and therefore, for myself and for these chiefs, I offer, when this truce is at an end, to take the front of the battle, and to resist the enemy, even with more heart and courage than if our lord the emperor were present. Greatly were they all contented with this brave speech of Arquisil. King Lisuarte then said to Kildadan, Good sir, since we have found such resolution in the Romans which I did not expect, and since they have now so good a knight as Arquisil to lead them, we also should lay aside all fear, and take this chance as we ought. For myself, I tell you, that after the truth there shall be nothing but battle, and if God does not give me victory, I do not wish him to give me life, for death would be more desirable." Now, though King Kildadan was always grieved at heart to think that he was tributary to King Lisuarte, yet being so good a knight, 
and regarding his oath and promise more than his own will and pleasure, he replied, I am rejoiced, sir, by what the Romans say, and still more at beholding your resolution, for things like these are the touchstones by which virtue is proved. For myself, be assured that, living or dead, where you are, there shall my body be found also. From that hour King Lisuarte resolved, let his fortune be what it might, to release Kildadan from his vassalage for that good will which he manifested to die in his defence. Chapter 32 How when the holy hermit Nasciano knew of this great quarrel between the kings, he set about making peace. Nasciano, the holy man who had brought up Asplandian, heard of the great discord between the kings, and what danger they were in, whether by a special revelation of God, or by rumour that reached him, is not known, for the hermitage wherein he had dwelt forty years was in so remote a part of the forest that scarcely ever traveller passed that way. He, being sick, besought God to give him strength, that he might go to the firm island to obtain Oriana's consent, without which it could not be done, that he might reveal the secret of her love to Amadis, which he might safely do, she being not in her father's power, and whereby he trusted to bring about peace. So being somewhat recovered, though still very weak and infirm, he mounted his ass, and took with him two men of the village where his sister dwelt, and with much labour, and slow travelling, arrived at the firm island, when King Perion and the army had left it to give battle, whereat he was greatly grieved. Being arrived, he sent word to Oriana of his coming, at which she greatly rejoiced, being desirous to consult with him respecting her conscience, and she sent the damsel of Denmark to bring him to her. So soon as he came within the doors, she fell upon her knees before him, and wept bitterly, and said, O oh, holy man, give your blessing to the unhappy and sinful woman, who, for her own misfortune and the mischief of so many others, was born into this world. The tears came into the hermit's eyes, and he raised his hands and blessed her, saying, that God, who is the helper of all and almighty, bless you and remedy all your troubles. He then took her by the hand, and raised her up, and said, My good lady and dear daughter, I am come hither with much toil to speak with you, and when you are so pleased, hear me, for I cannot tarry, neither is it befitting my habit and manner of life. Oriana, who could not answer him for sobs, then led him to her chamber, and gave order that they should be left alone. When the hermit saw he could speak safely, he said, My good lady, I have heard all this news in my hermitage, and have therefore taken this journey, because I knew the secret of your conscience, and the great danger of your person and fame, if the marriage which the king your father designeth should take place. Now, my dear daughter, having learned this from you in confession, I am not at liberty to apply the remedy to all this evil but it is now a greater sin to keep it silent than to reveal it. I therefore come, my beloved daughter, that you may be persuaded that your father should be informed of what has passed, and how he cannot lawfully give you any other husband than the one you already have. For while he thinks he may justly dispose of you in marriage, he will persist in his determination to the great destruction of so many, and at last it will be discovered, for the gospel saith, that all hidden things shall be made known. Oriana, who had now somewhat recovered, took his hands and forcibly kissed them oftentimes, and said, 
O holy man and servant of God, I commit my cares to you, that you may do what is most for the good of my soul and the service of God, and I beseech him to direct you, not as I, sinner as I am, have deserved, but as he in his infinite goodness hath oftentimes been pleased to deal with those who, like me, with their whole hearts, implore his mercy. Put your trust in him, replied the good man, and I must without delay depart, for great evil might arise if I made any tarians. God be with you, said Oriana. I beseech you, if you return here, bring with you the child who is indebted to you, under God, for his life. The holy man then took his leave, but so infirm was he, that not being able to travel in any other manner than upon his ass, he did not arrive at the camp of King Lisuarte till these two battles had been fought, and they were employed in burying the dead. This sight greatly troubled him, and he besought God to prosper him, that he might be the means of ending this destructive quarrel, and without any delay he rode straight to the king's tent, and there alighted from his ass and went in. When the king saw him, he knew him immediately, and marvelled at his coming, for he thought that by reason of his great age he could not go from his hermitage, and he presently judged that so holy a man was not come without great cause, and he went to meet him, and fell upon his knees before him, and said, Father Nasciano, my friend, and the servant of God, give me your blessing. The hermit raised his hands, and said, that God, whom I and all are bound to revere, protect you, and give you such understanding that your soul may one day enjoy the glory and repose for which it was created, if by your own fault it be not lost. He then gave him his blessing, and raised him up, and knelt in his turn to kiss his hand. But Lisuarte embraced him. The king then gave orders that food should be brought him, and after he had eat, he led the holy man into a recess of the tent, and asked him the cause of his coming, saying that he marvelled how so recluse a man, and one of so great age, should have travelled so far from his habitation. The hermit made answer, Certes, sir, according to my years, and condition, and inclination, I am now only fit to go from my cell to the altar. But it behoves all those who would serve our Lord Jesus Christ, and would follow his example, for no trouble or toil to turn aside. I learned, sir, in my hermitage, of this cruel war, and that the cause thereof was that you were resolved to give your daughter in marriage to the Emperor of Rome. Now this I knew could not be done, not for the reason which the chiefs and people of your realm with good cause assigned, because she is your lawful inheritrix, which ought in conscience to have prevailed but for another cause which is unknown to you and all your people, and which, according to all laws, divine and human, makes it impossible, which is that your daughter is already joined in marriage to the husband whom it hath pleased our Lord Christ to appoint for his service. When the king heard this, he thought either that the good man's senses were impaired by his great age, or else that someone had deceived him with false tales, and he replied, Nasciano, my good friend, my daughter Oriana neither now has, nor ever has had, any other husband than that emperor to whom I gave her, and God is my witness that I did not that for the sake of disinheriting her to give my kingdom to my other daughter, as some have supposed, 
but in order by this alliance with the roman empire to increase his holy catholic faith if i had foreseen the great evils which have occurred i would gladly have changed my purpose but as my designs were just and good i cannot think that what has ensued can be imputed to my account the good man replied i told you sir that the cause was unknown to you but i knew it on that day sir when by your command i brought child esplendian to your tent in the forest the queen and oriana spake with me concerning the state of their conscience and then i learned from your daughter oriana that when amadis of gaul delivered her from arcalaus and the four knights who were carrying her away that day when you were decoyed away by the damsel and in danger of losing your kingdom and your life unless you had been helped by galaor she then in recompense for the service which he had done her and still more for what his brother had done for you promised marriage to that noble knight who was the flower and mirror of old chivalry and from this marriage it has pleased god that esplandian should be born whom he has thought fit so to distinguish above all others that live you know sir better than i what the wise urganda the unknown said concerning him and now i would see if the great wisdom wherewith god has endowed you be well bestowed and the great power wherewith he has entrusted you for since he hath done for you so much more than you deserve you ought not to think much of following what his holy destinies point out when the king heard this he was greatly astonished and said o oh, father nasciano is it true that my daughter is married to amadis he replied it is certainly true that he is the husband of your daughter and that child esplandian is your grandson holy mary quoth the king how ill done was it to keep this secret from me so long if i had known or guessed it so many would not have been slain for no fault of their own my good friend i wish you had informed me in time to have prevented this evil that sir could not be replied the holy man for what is revealed in confession must never be divulged and it is with the consent of the princess that i come i trust in god that if the present be remedied as it may he will with little penitence forgive the past in which the action hath been worse than the will king lisuarte made no answer he sat musing upon the great worth of amadis and the services he had received from him and he thought also upon his love to galaor and above all to esplandian and what urgan had prophesied at length he said father nasciano the friend of god subject as my heart hath been to pride and though i had resolved either to receive death or to inflict it your holy words have such virtue that they have prevailed and if peace be not now brought about you shall witness before god that the fault is not mine do you therefore speak with amadis without letting him know my intention and learn what he would have done in this case and let us see how all can be settled to the advantage and honour of both parties nasciano weeping for pure joy knelt before him and exclaimed o fortunate king may he who came to save us thank you for this i have not power to do it so he prepared to depart without delay that all might be settled before the truce expired but as he was going forth from the tent a splendian and sargil came in 
whom Queen Brisena had sent to learn tidings of the king her lord. When the good man saw how he was grown, and that he was almost approaching to the stature of manhood, who can tell the joy and delight that he felt? Certes, it is impossible to express it, and being as he was with the king, he went towards him as fast as he could to embrace him. Esplandian, though he had not for a long time seen him, knew him immediately, and knelt down to kiss his hand, and the old man embraced him and kissed him many times with exceeding joy, saying, O oh, my dear son, blessed be the hour wherein thou art born, and blessed and praised be the Lord, who by such miracle preserved thy life, and hath made thee what I now behold. All they who beheld the exceeding love which the good man manifested were greatly moved, but he who felt the most, though he did not show the pleasure which he felt, was King Lisuarte. For well as he had loved the child heretofore for his beauty, and the hope there was of him, that love was without the knowledge that he was in very truth his grandson, and such force had this love that all the hatred and enmity which he had so long harboured gave way, and his old feelings towards Amadis returned, such as they were when Amadis was most in his favour. And now he knew that what Urganda had said was true, how that child should bring about peace between him and Amadis. The child now knelt to the king, and gave him a letter from Queen Brisena, in which she besought him to make peace, if it could be done to his honour. The good man then said, Sir, it would be a great comfort to me if you would permit Esplandian to go with me, that I may have leisure to look at him and talk with him. Let him go, replied the king, and I charge him not to leave you till it be your pleasure. For this the good man thanked the king much, and he said, my good and happy son, come with me, since the king commands it. The child replied, Good sir, and my true father, I am well pleased to go with you, for I have long desired to see you. So he went out from the tent and mounted his ass, and Esplandian and Sargil rode each his palfrey, and with his company the good man proceeded to the other camp, and rode directly to the tent of Amadis. Amadis, for he had never seen him, knew him not, and could not divine for what so old and infirm a man should come thither. And he knew Esplandian as little, for though he had spared the Roman knights at his entreaty, yet had he then seen him for so short a time that he had forgotten him. But so fair was the child that he could scarce believe such beauty could be in a mortal man. But Don Quadragante knew him, and went up to him, saying, I must embrace you, my good friend. Don Brian of Monghast and I gave the Greek knight your bidding. Then he turned to Amadis. This, sir, is fair child Esplandian. When Amadis heard that name, whether or no he was pleased need not be said, for he was so overpowered with joy that he could hardly answer, and did not recollect himself, and if any one had looked at him they would have seen his agitation but there was none who suspected the truth, for they all believed that only Urganda knew the father of the child. Then Amadis would have embraced him, while Don Quadragante was still holding him by the hand, but child Esplandian said, "'Good sir, do honour first to the holy man Nasciano, who is come to seek you.' When the knights heard that this was Nasciano, the fame of whose holiness and rigorous life was spread abroad in all parts, they all humbly drew nigh, and knelt before him and asked his blessing. The hermit then said, 
i beseech my lord jesus christ if the blessing of such a sinner as i am can be of any avail that it may abate the pride and anger of your hearts and give you such understanding that forgetting the vain things of this world you may follow the true things of the true one and then he lifted up his hands and blessed them amadis then embraced esplandian who made obeisance and reverence not as to his father but as to the best knight in the world whom he had long desired to see and from whom he could now hardly take off his eyes amadis seeing how earnestly the child looked at him suspected that he knew something of the truth but the good hermit beholding them both how fair they were as they were thus embracing he was as happy as if he had been in paradise and in his heart he prayed to god for them and besought him that for his service he would be pleased to enable him to make peace between these knights who were the flower of the world he then said to don quadragante sir i have something to say to amadis while i speak with him be pleased to take with you this child since you better than any other of these knights know him he then took amadis by the hand and when they were sufficiently retired he said my son before i open to you the principal cause of my coming i would have you call to mind how much more than all other living men you ought to be thankful to the lord our god for at the hour of your birth you were shut up in an ark and cast into the sea and the redeemer of the world had pity on you he hath made you the fairest knight in the world and the strongest and most well beloved and seeing that he hath done so much for you what ought not you to do for him i am come hither son with great toil and pain to see if i can bring about peace and having spoken with king lisuarte and found him disposed to obey god as every good king who is the servant of god should do i would now my good sir learn whether you have most regard to him who created you or to the vain glory of the world you may speak to me without reserve for i have been to the firm island and have undertaken this charge with the permission of the princess oriana the secret of whose heart i have learned in confession amadis well believed that this was true because this was a holy man who would not speak an untruth he made answer friend of god and holy hermit i should be the most fortunate knight that ever lived if i could discharge what i owe to our lord christ for the benefits wherewith he has favoured me but i am a sinful man who every day offend him and right glad shall i be if by your coming i may be taught how to make atonement for the past oh my fortunate son exclaimed the good man how have you comforted my heart that was so disconsolate at beholding so great destruction that lord who is to save you give you the recompense which i cannot now without fear i will tell you what i have already done then he told him how by oriana's consent he had revealed the secret to king lisuarte and with what patience the king had learned it and since by god's help they were in this state he besought him to devise how by his marriage with the princess peace might be established at this the heart and all the flesh of amadis trembled for exceeding joy to think that by the consent of his lady oriana the secret of their love was now made known my good sir he replied if king lisuarte is in this disposition and will accept me to be his son i will acknowledge him for my lord and father and serve him in whatsoever shall be to his honour how then quoth the hermit shall i proceed to bring this about before there be farther mischief amadis made answer 
Methinks you should speak with the king my father, and tell him wherefore you are come hither, and request him to incline to peace, if King Lisuarte should now accord to what Don Quadragante and Don Brian heretofore demanded, with regard to his daughter Oriana. I trust in his virtue that you will speed with him as you desire. Tell him that you have communed with me, but that I refer everything to his pleasure." The good man incontinently went to the tent of King Perion, taking with him Sargil and Charles Splendion. King Perion, knowing who the good man was, received him with much love, and looking at Esplendion, whom he had never before seen, he marvelled to behold so fair a creature, and asked the hermit who he was. The holy man replied, that he was one whom he had bred up, and whom God had given him by great miracle. What, quoth King Perion, is this the child whom the lioness suckled, of whom Organda prophesied such wonders, and wrote to King Lisuarte that he should one day bring about peace between him and Amadis? This is he, said the good man Nasciano, and if you have reason to love him now, much more will you have when you know more concerning him. Son, said he, kiss the king's hand. But Perion then embraced him, and asked Nasciano if he knew whose child he was. God's child, the good man replied, though born of mortal man and woman. But it is manifest that God loved him like a child, and it will please him that before long you shall know more concerning him. He then led the king aside, and said, I am come hither, king, being thus aged and infirm as you see me, hoping that the Lord my God will enable me to put an end to this strife. I have spoken with King Lisuarte, who, as one who serves God, is well disposed for peace, so it may be concluded to the honour of both parties, and I have spoken with your son Amadis, who says that he will obey your will, so that now peace or war is at your choice. But all know how greatly you are bound to serve the Lord, who hath so blessed you with all the good things of this life, your kingdom and your wife and your sons and now will it be seen in what manner you acknowledge his goodness, and are desirous to serve him. God is my witness, replied the king, that I would willingly have avoided this great discord. But King Lisuarte would listen to no reason, thinking that as he had the emperor of Rome on his part, the whole world were to be subject to him, and what hath ensued from this presumption all men now behold. But if he will now show that reason which hitherto he hath not shown, I trust that these knights, who are on our part, will easily follow my inclination, which is to put a stop to this slaughter. And farther, that you may know for how slight a demand he is thus obstinate, if he would but come to some terms for his daughter Oriana, that would remedy all. My good lord, replied Nasciano, God will give this remedy, and I in his place. Do you then speak with your knights, and appoint certain of them who are desirous of the common good. King Lisuarte will do the same, and I, as a soldier of God, will be with them to close and repair the breach that has been made. The good man then went away with a joyful heart to the camp of King Lisuarte. King Perion then called together his principal knights, and said, Noble princes and knights, even as we are bound to expose ourselves to all danger to defend our honours and estates, and to maintain justice, so are we to lay aside all anger and resentment, and listen to reason when it is proffered to us. The holy servant and friend of God, Nasciano the hermit, 
has come hither to say that our enemies are desirous of peace, more conformable to good conscience than to points of honour, and he only requires that persons on both sides be appointed to meet and consult together. This I thought right that you should know, that your opinion may be taken and followed. At this they were all silent for a while, till Angriotte arose and said, Since none else adventures, I will speak, sir. We chose you for your great worth to bear chief in this war, knowing that neither favour nor affection would induce you to swerve from what was right. So also am I assured that whatever you shall determine, there is none here who would gainsay, for your single power is sufficient to decide. Howbeit, since you are pleased to ask our judgment, I will tell you mine. It would be great folly in us, having so increased our honour, to deny peace when our enemies are desirous of it. As Don Quaragante and Don Brian of Monjasta were deputed before, they should be again appointed, as men whose discretion and virtue will justly decide whether for peace or war. So thus it was determined that these two knights should consult with King Perion, and resolve accordingly. Chapter 33 How the holy man Nasciano returned with the answer of King Perion to King Lisuarte, and of what was agreed. The good man Nasciano returned to King Lisuarte, and told him how well he had sped, and as the king was now determined no longer to give way to the wicked one, as he had done to the occasion of so great evil, he replied, Peace shall not be prevented by my fault, as you shall see. Do you therefore remain here in my tent, and I will go and speak with those knights who have undergone such danger to support my honour. Then he went to the tent of King Gasquilan, who lay in his bed still from his encounter with Amadis, and there he sent for King Kildadan, and the chief of the Romans, and of his own army, and told them what the good man Nasciano had done, reserving only what related to Amadis and his daughter, for that he would not have known as yet. And he besought them to deliver their opinion, in particular the Romans, for the great loss which they had sustained in losing their emperor, bound him to follow their will, even though it were different from his own. King Kildadan, in like manner, requested the Romans to state their opinion, and upon that the good knight Arquisil arose and said, If my lord the emperor were living, his opinion ought to be followed, because this quarrel was his, but he being dead, we may say that what he was bound to do died with him, and we, who are his kinsmen and vassals, are now no more apart than as we are bound to follow you, King Lisuarte, which we will do while a man of us remains alive. To you, therefore, as the person whom this most nearly concerns, we leave the decision. Much was the king pleased at the speech of this knight, which was as prudent as it was courageous. So returning to his tent, he appointed King Arban of North Wales and Don Guilan the Pensive, to treat on his part, and he said to the hermit, As things are in this state, I hold it advisable that you should return to King Perion, and tell him that I have chosen these knights, and that, as there always are delays in such matters, it would be well if we both raised our camp, because while we are here, neither can the wounded be well looked to, nor the armies supplied with food for men and beasts. He therefore should fall back a day's journey, and I to the town of Lubena, to see that my wounded men be taken care of, and to send off the emperor to his own country. Our mediators will know how to proceed, and you shall be present, and if need be, he and I may see each other, where we may think good. 
This pleased the hermit well, for though all was not yet settled, he knew the danger would be farther removed when the armies were farther apart, for though this good man was in orders and led so strict a life in so remote a part, he had in his time been a right good knight in the court of King Lesuarte's father, and after of King Falangris, so that, though he was perfect in things divine, he was also well versed in things temporal. Sir, said he to the king, it only remains to appoint a certain day when your ambassadors shall meet here, which will be midway between the two armies, and by God's blessing I trust they will so agree that you and King Perion may meet. I will go without delay, and send to tell you at what hour to break up your camp. So he went to King Perion, who, with the consent of the two chosen knights, was well content that the armies should remove on the morrow. King Lisuarte was advised thereof, and in the morning the trumpets were sounded, and the tents raised, and the two armies joyfully separated, each going to the place appointed. End of Book 4, Chapter 33